welcome to Teacher Formation, where we unpack and apply current research to teaching from a Catholic perspective. I'm Monica Kowalski. And I'm Erin Wibbins. We believe that teacher formation is an ongoing process. It's one that includes learning from current research um, and best practice in schools. We also believe that teachers are formed through learning from other teachers. And so today we want to share some things that we've learned from being in classrooms over the last few months. Right, I'm so excited about this episode, honestly, Monica, because we both work as supervisors in teacher education. Um, and so we get to visit teachers and observe them in their classrooms and schools. And it's uh, often so life-giving and we see so much good work um, being done each semester. Um, we wanna highlight just a few of the cool things that we've seen this year. And that doesn't mean that these are things that you need to do or that you should be doing, but um, it's just to highlight some of the unique practices that uh, teachers are using to engage their students in learning and in content. Okay, so we both have a few examples of just great ideas and great things that we saw. So I'm gonna have Monica here go first. What'd you see? Okay, well, I saw lots of great teaching um, over the past few months. And uh, I'm just gonna think of a few things that stood out across different content areas and different grade levels that I've been in. So my first example that I was thinking about that I really enjoyed was a middle school English teacher um, who had been teaching her students about sentence diagramming. Right. And this was sort of the end of the unit of instruction around sentence diagramming. And students had been working on coming up with unique sentences that they could diagram uh, together with all the different parts of speech. And so when it was time for them to turn to their work, she actually had them go outside to the school parking lot and gave them sidewalk chalk and let them write their sentences nice and big in the sidewalk, uh, in, in the parking lot and diagram them with the, um, the correct notations outside um, on the ground. And it was just a, a um, nice change instead of doing this in the classroom on paper or on the board to actually get to go outside um, on a beautiful day and to uh, to to use the manipulatives like the chalk to to make these kind of come alive. And then she had students walk around kind of gallery walk style and read each other's sentences and see the diagramming and check each other's work. Um, and I really liked that progression of the lesson. Yeah, and what I love about that is you didn't lose any, that teacher didn't lose any of the content, right? She maintained all of the important content that she probably could have done on paper or on a computer in the classroom, but she brought in her horizons and she had the kiddos engaging in a, a new way that might've motivated them or reinvigorated them to be curious about this content, which sometimes can get mundane, to be honest. Right. 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 And I think it's important that this was not the first lesson in this. I think it would have been right. different and different to have students do that. It may have been distracting to have them outside with chalk when they were learning this skill. But since they already knew this and it was a practice opportunity and really like a formative assessment opportunity, right. it was it was a nice way to do that and to to make that feel a little different, to engage the students a little more, um, and to keep it very active. Yeah. I, I love that. That's a great, that's a great example. I think anytime that you can engage students in moving their bodies and in moving the same kind of content outside without losing any of that content integrity, you're, you're, you have an opportunity to pique interest. And I think that's what, that's what she did there. That was really smart. Um, and so I'm going to talk about a middle school teacher too. I'm next. And so I have a middle school teacher that um, she's a social studies teacher and she's working on something called a trap 
three claim. And we can link to this in our show notes. So one of our colleagues, uh, Megan Fagan, she actually um, uh, kind of came up with this whole concept. And it's, it's an idea where we have um, teachers thinking like historians rather than memorizing facts. And what I also wanna say is this skill is transferable. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk just a second about what the, the TRAP-3 is. So TRAP stands for T-R-A-P. And so it's the time period, the region, the argument, and the proof. And then you have three pieces of evidence. So teachers are, or teachers are introducing this kind of claim as a routine in their classroom. So in this middle school classroom, they were thinking about the native peoples and or the people who were in the civil war and or who were in reconstruction, any of these time places, but then students knew and understood that when they wanted to write like an historian, they needed to think about what time period they were in, what region of the world, what their argument was and what the proof was, and then times three. So it, it what I liked about it was it created like I said, a routine and a procedure for students to think about something in the beginning and then grow in that known um, proceed, like that known procedure as they moved forward in in social studies. And I think this could be true too in in literacy, honestly, as well. So I'm thinking also as a literacy educator, and I'm like, wow, could I also say that when I'm reading an historical fiction piece? Could I also think about that? when I'm even reading um, like a fantasy fiction type piece, mm -hmm. like what's the time period, what's the region, what's the author trying to do here and what's my proof. So I loved seeing her work with that an anchor chart, having the kiddos practice again and again, and then her modeling that it was really, it was really well done. Yeah, that is good. And it's, it, that's a, um, a type of a heuristic like that with the trap three that the, the reason it's so transferable is because you, you remember that, kind of acronym and you can apply that in many different experiences. So as long as they're practicing it in different, mm -hmm. different experiences, uh, different content and um, with different types of materials, they can use that heuristic to, to work in lots of different places and, and to transfer that skill um, through, you know, like you said, social studies, literacy, science, anywhere that they can, that they're making claims. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I think too, when we start to push our students, especially our middle schoolers, to start to write literary analysis or to write any sort of a research paper, um, this kind of strategy can feed right into that, right? So this was talking about one paragraph, but when we build multiple paragraphs with all of these in a row, we are like big picture even, we can, we can help students start to make this more um, less random or like less having to be a big thing and more being able to map this out. So it's like helping our students with pre-writing. It's helping their brains pre-think and pre-plan that writing just doesn't come off the top of our head. So yeah. I like that. It was fun. And her students were super responsive and it was, it was great to watch her model that. That is key. I want to say teacher was modeling that real clearly. She was doing it not just once, multiple times. She had her anchor charts. She was asking kids to refer to that. She was anchoring them to that practice with the chart. So that's why we call it an anchor chart, right? We anchor, we anchor ideas. Um, so yes, yeah, I liked that she was using that in a smart way and that students were being really responsive. That's great. Mm -hmm. Okay, next I wanna talk about some 
uh, active learning science lab activities yeah. that I've seen lately. Um, so I think using manip manipulatives in science and having real life examples and opportunities for students to actively construct their knowledge is really helpful. Um, and I, I saw that a few different ways. So in one high school chemistry class, I saw a lab activity on isotopes where uh, plain and pretzel kind of jumbo M&Ms were used right. to represent different isotopes of elements. So they're all right. M&Ms, so they're the same element, but they have different sizes because more neutrons in one or the other. And, and so yep. uh, students were able to manipulate those, uh, calculate atomic weights, do all kinds of things with, uh, with that activity. And then in an elementary science class, I saw a lab um, demonstrating chemical versus physical changes. So it was, it was kind of like a scavenger hunt around the room where there were 12 stations set up and each one showed a, um, a, a change happening, either a physical or chemical change. And students, again, had an anchor chart to, mm -hmm. to tell which was which, you know, how to, how to tell the difference between a chemical and physical change. And then they would go to each station and at one station they would have, you know, a pencil and then a pencil broken in half and they'd have to determine right. is that chemical or physical change and, you know, a piece of steel, steel wool and then a piece that had some rust on it and they'd have to determine was that a chemical or physical change right. and why. Um, and it was very hands-on and again, this was a review. Um, they had already learned what chemical and physical changes were. Or and what an isotope was maybe, yeah. And th this was a way to solidify that knowledge and really apply it in a real world case. And it was great to see students in both of these classes in their lab groups discussing and um, helping each other come to understanding of the of the different things that they were learning and really constructing that knowledge actively. Um, and I really appreciated seeing that in both of those classes. Me too. And I would imagine, right, that when we bring all of that um, the, the lecture learning in middle and high school or some of the book learning into an active experience that we might motivate kiddos to um, kind of transfer some of that knowledge into the world rather than keep it in a book, right? Or no? Right, right, right. Yeah. right. And then too, like, I think it's important too. So did this end too, and I, and I just wanna push kind of on this too, it, when we do this kind of science work, that we had a discussion in the end, I'm guessing, where the teachers came back and they and they said things like, hey, why was was this chemical or was this physical and why? And let's relate back to our anchor charter. How was this isotope built or what was it? Let's relate back to what we know and have learned in, in what would, the goal of the unit itself was. Right, I agree. I think in any science lab or really any lab activity in any class, that debrief is really important. Right. After you do right. a real world application to ensure that what you wanted them to learn was learned from it. There is some research showing that sometimes manipulatives and activities can actually right. be distracting from the content. Mm -hmm. But again, if it's if it's debriefed in a way that they do gain the understanding from it, I think it's important. Yeah. In the science lab lesson for, for the physical and chemical changes, students were then encouraged to go home and see if they could find examples of chemical physical changes in their own house. And so right. again, continuing that learning process. Yeah. yeah, and I like this. I think too, sometimes our um, our teachers, especially beginning teachers and even more experienced teachers um, will feel like in a rush and they'll wanna quickly finish the lab and get the thing done and they'll kind of um, shorten that debrief. I know I even sometimes do that in my own teaching, even at a university level. And I think this just reiterates why um, maintaining that um, 
debrief is going to be really valuable because that's where you're going to really connect what students did to what they should already know. So don't skip, don't skip that teachers out there. Don't skip that piece of really connecting what we just did to what we, what we know and what we want to learn. I think that's so valuable. I have a science example too, and this fits right in. So this is a middle school science teacher um, who was talking about density. And this was actually a day one, like a unit one, lesson one, um, where we were talking about what we were, we were trying to figure out what density was. So we knew that this unit was going to be about density and we were thinking about soap. And so the teacher had a bar of soap and he asked, hey, if I put this in water, if I, and he had a, he had a bar of soap and he had a glass bowl of water. And he said, if I put this in the water, is it going to float or is it going to sink and why? And so he gave time for the, the students to all refer to their own experiences, right? And I think this is another in for science where he's asking his students to say, hey, what do you know about the world? We don't have any prior knowledge yet about density, what it is, what its formula is, but we're gonna learn that. And he's asking them, hey, what's gonna happen here? So they used <clears throat> a POE, which is a predict. So they're predicting, then they're gonna observe, right? He's gonna, he drops the soap and then they explain why they think what happened happened. So I love this idea of introducing a concept and giving students a POE where they predict, they watch something happen and they explain they're gonna be imperfect in their explanation, right? Cause they don't have all the knowledge yet but we're gonna like watch them start to pull in ideas that actually do have um, scientific explanation and knowledge. And so he did that in a really smart and exciting way. And the students came up with some excellent ideas about why the soap did or didn't float and mm -hmm. where they'd seen that in the world. So that's a that. great, that's a great example, Erin, of how teachers can use scientific phenomenon to yes. hook students into a learning, learning is something new. So we, a lot of times we think about starting a unit or starting a lesson with activating prior knowledge yeah. as a word or vocabulary to, words or whatever. Right. 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 But I love this way of using the hook of like a phenomenon that can get students curious and engaged and thinking about it. And then ideally throughout that lesson or throughout that unit, you'd refer back to that example to say, remember when we did that or at the end of the unit to say, now yes. explain why that that soap did or didn't yeah. think. And, and I love that connection. So that's when we think of like a coherent unit plan too. So super great would be if that teacher kind of opened with that lesson and at the very end. One of our assessments was, hey, why did that soap sink? Why did that soap float? And then I'm asking them to write a little bit with the rubric to grade about what scientific phenomenon that we learned about all the way through helped us explain what mm -hmm. we saw happen or what we referred to all the way through. So yeah, and those middle schoolers had lots of ideas, lots of more ideas than I, honestly, sitting there as an observer, um, new and it was exciting to see them talking about um both science and the world um together so that was fun great sounds like an awesome class um great my last few i'm just going to group together here as okay. other engagement strategies that yeah. i that i enjoyed um so i I uh, noticed some, lots of brain breaks in especially yes. in elementary lessons, which I always think is important. We know kiddos don't have really long attention spans. And if we ask them to remain seated for long periods of time, focused on work, um, that can be difficult. 
And uh, that's when students start either acting out or checking out and disengaging. So um, building in brain breaks at appropriate times or transitions between lessons is really good. Uh, I've seen this a few different ways in um, some class. I, I saw in one class where students were really high energy, I saw a nice transition, which was more of a, a calming brain break where it was. Yes. A meditation of let's take some you know intentional deep breathing and refocus our brains and that really was helpful in that space in another class where students were actually low energy and had been sitting for a while the teacher used more high engagement uh type of brain breaks like a shakedown where you you know count right. down as you shake out each body right. part or go and everybody go touch one of the four walls and then come back to your seat so getting students to move and take a brain break was good there and then at the high school level, this isn't exactly a brain break, but what I um, noticed was in terms of student engagement, um, I had a high school teacher who had students at the beginning of the year suggest songs for a playlist. And then yeah. he would use those songs and play music specifically during bell work. And I loved that he was able to, to give students like a, a bell work assignment, you know, a question or two on the board. And he would say, okay, you're gonna have two songs for this. And then he would let, just play the next two songs on their playlist. Or he'd be like, today's just a one, a one song. song day. <laughs> so it was a way that they kind of kept students on time as well as kept them, um, you know, give them, gave them a little voice and choice in the, in the, in the day with their choice of music. Yeah, and then I one like last example, sorry, one last example. Okay is um, elementary teachers. I love seeing when they are doing read alouds with students and they let students choose where to sit around the room. So I had a teacher who would pull popsicle sticks and say, yes, these two students get to go sit in that corner and these two students mm -hmm. get to go sit on the beanbags over here. And he actually had like lawn chairs in the classroom, like those foldable Ooh. camp chairs. Yeah. And he had a couple of camp chairs in the back Great. and the loved the chance to go sit in those for right. listening time. So um, it just keeps students engaged when they can sprawl out on the floor somewhere or in somewhere special and feel um, like it's a it's a nice cozy place to be to to just build the enjoyment of reading. Yeah, I think too, I think what I'm hearing you say, and I think you'd probably agree with this, that that um, we got to know our students, right? And so when I'm thinking about your first two examples about, you know, students who were high energy or students who were lower energy, um, sometimes I have to help my teachers understand that a great brain break isn't always um, dancing like crazy to the hokey pokey. Like sometimes it is noticing that we need deep breaths or noticing that we need the lights to come down low and we need a moment of journaling or something like that. So I love this idea that brain breaks don't always have to re-up our energy like sometimes we also can use it to refocus and I think that knowing our students and or just naming what we're seeing as teachers that's in front of us um can help us determine what what will help and the reading thing you know I love all of this I think the biggest thing I'm going to say is make sure you've got a routine you've got a procedure what are we expecting when we're sitting in the camp chairs what are we expecting um in order to make that time just beneficial for everybody right my very last one before we end here is um, thinking about, especially as we're in the new year um, and a new semester, a new quarter, a new trimester is thinking about setting smart goals, individual smart goals um, for your, actually you could set them for small group. You could set them for your class. You could set them for individuals, smart goals, um, academic and otherwise. So this is a great practice of teachers thinking about how to make a goal that is specific, measurable, um, available to students 
to see and then to, to transfer that knowledge elsewhere. So there are so many teachers out there who are posting SMART goals. Um, and I see teachers who are using goal setting. So um, I, you know, for, for academic or beyond. So we don't always need to limit our kiddos goals to just, you know, getting more A's on spelling tests. It can also be, I wanna be a better friend or I wanna make the varsity baseball team. Um, and then we check in with them, right? So when we have conferences with parents um, coming up here in the spring, if that happens, or when we just check in with students, we help them understand that setting goals is a valuable practice because it can help us um, check in with ourselves and then we have other responsible people in our lives who will help us check in too. And it was really great to see that. I saw that in a third grade classroom. They were posted and they were also posted with a saying that said, I can't yet. And so they were all pushed to set goals that they couldn't quite do yet. And then we're going to check in and see um, that we've made progress, not perfection. So I loved it. Love. I love that. I love, I think that teaching kids to set set goals um, is a practice that can help them for their whole lives, right? That goal-directed mm -hmm. behavior is um, behavior in service to something and it's uh, yeah. important and it helps us to achieve what we want to in life because we do right. know those goals. I think it's really important that the goals be meaningful to the students. So yes. I love the idea of trying to set a classroom goal or a small group goals, but those have to be done. Um, the students need to have a voice in that. They need to be setting the goals and, and really be pushed as to why this goal is meaningful. So yeah, maybe you want to get all A's, but why? Why is that an important goal? And helping students to understand the reason for their goals, the reason for what they're desiring can help them to buy into those goals more and, um, and, and make those goals more important for them. So um, I think it's great to, uh, to have the goals and to make sure that they're meaningful and that they are used and not just a space time filler of let's set goals today, but, but really right. an intentional um, and directed kind of activity, I think would be really important. I love when I go in classrooms and I see students goals written and I love reading them. And I always look for the ones, like you said, that are, yeah. I want to be a better friend or I want to, yes. I want to learn as much as I can about this, right. and this instead of the, I want to get good grades or I want to right. you know, Exactly. I, I like to see the goals that are more meaningful. Yeah. And I think when I think about classroom goals too, I think about the classrooms that say like our goal is to help, like to choose someone to help this semester, right? And to like maybe use our faith or our faith goals to to choose a uh, a service project. Or when we talk about reading, like I we want to read a hundred pages because we want to learn more, not because we want an AR score has nothing to do with grades. We just, we want to learn more. We want to experience more genres, more authors. So I, I think what you're saying too, the teacher, the way she sells that, the way she projects that to her students is going to be so powerful in understanding why these goals maybe are meaningful um, to kiddos rather than um, limiting it to a grade, all grade only situation. Good. Yes. Love it. Well, speaking of goals, Erin, you and I have sort of set of goals to try to do some more mm -hmm. podcast recording this year than we have yep. in the past. We've gotten a schedule together and trying to hold ourselves accountable to making sure that we do that and to think about different formats for podcast mm -hmm. episodes and right. different ways that we can connect with our listeners. So if anyone has any suggestions yeah. or topics or anything they'd like to hear us talk about, um, we encourage you to reach out and connect with us yeah. uh, because we would love some feedback and we'd love to make this 
um, beneficial to as many people as we can. Right. Right. And if you have questions, ask them because um, if we may have the answers and if we don't, um, we may have colleagues that do. So we're not opposed to, you know, inviting someone else on who might have an answer to a question that, you know, Monica and I may not have immediate access to. So um, reach out with questions or ideas that you would like to think more deeply about um, and to get a few, few more resources on. We're glad to, to go there, too. Yay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, thanks to Joe Stone, who does our music and editing. Um, and we look forward to recording more in the near future here. Happy New Year. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.